Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. I'm Benesh Maid, and on this week's Archive Edition, we return to Possibly Colliding, a weekend curated by composer and pianist Niels Fram. Over the next hour, you'll hear from a selection of those orbiting artists in the field of music, art and film who appeared at the Barbican on the 1st to the 3rd of July back in 2016. So, of course, this weekend wouldn't have existed without one man, a musical powerhouse who sits behind his piano and a room or stage full of electronics, including an incredible custom-built piano and organ. I'll let him set the scene. It's a little bit like setting up a billiard game. And then when it starts, you kind of hit the white ball and hit the white ball into the other balls. And then something will happen. You can foresee a couple things. The balls will be moving. You don't really know where, how exactly. And I was hoping that maybe with this title possibly colliding, yeah, all the artists, all the friends meeting in one place for these couple of days. And um, most of these artists, I'm a big fan of. Some of them I don't know so well, and I'm really curious to get to know them better. Yeah, I'm just really excited about the collaboration part as well. So people meet behind the meet behind um, the stage, backstage. And I hope that this collision of many artists will uh, create a a wonderful weekend. And Niels opened the weekend with a most ambitious concert. Uh, I have have the whole night uh, basically like a two concerts duration to... um, curate a music that night which uh, will make a big span from from where I started with my music and where I'm now and everything in between hopefully and I'm not not quite 100% sure what I will do exactly but um, I get more and more ideas and uh, to to have flexibility I want to bring my my full life set up to get get all the colors and all the all the possibilities and then I will also invite friends who, yeah, classic collaboration partners will appear and we will um, do uh, particularly new things and experiments uh, only practiced, rehearsed for that night. And so it's the most ambitious concert because it's probably one of the longer live shows with so many other friends and so much music which will only be heard that night and, and versions of songs which people might know but in different versions and yeah i call myself crazy that i I put all this work and all the conceptualization in that only for that one show but on the other hand it is also great practice to to see in what direction maybe my next uh series of live concerts will be like and for for me it's a very very important kind of uh, concert that way because it's so unique and I put so much work in it and there's only one and that's it. So I'm quite nervous about that guy. <laughs> Let's move straight into the first UK performance of three-person collaboration Ambique. Ambique are percussionist Samuel Rora and clarinetist Claudio Puntin plus Buchler 200E analogue synthesizer player Max Loderbauer. Claudio and Samuel joined me via Skype to talk about their UK debut performance. Samuel was the first to speak. I mean, we, we both, Claudio and me, we, we played together since 12 years. Exactly. Exactly. This is the base. This is the first uh, this connection. Is, this, is, this is 12 years. <laughs> I think it's much more. I think it's about around 2000. Yeah, maybe 
2002 or something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as a musician, you feel when new musicians that enter in your life can fit musically or you can fit together and uh, something happens together. And then we just met in Max studio and we just jammed for, for two days and, and everything was obvious, clear. And so that was the beginning. I suppose that leads on to the question of how you created the music. Are, th are these, for a better phrase, improvisations? Yeah, well, I mean, all music at first, when it appears, is kind of improvised. I mean, if you compose, if you edit, if you whatever you do in the end. But in the beginning, there is a there is an improvisation. And but yeah, I mean, I think the most important is that it, it's not produced music. You know, it's it's created in one moment, and then we just afterwards we choose which moments we like. But then it's it is what it is. We don't start to I think that's the big difference between this kind of way of creating music or like producing uh, composing yeah in, in, I mean when producing is composing as well so what we play when it's played it's finished because we all the ingredients are decided by doing it in real time This project, since we started, it, it opened many doors. For me, it's still a way of discovering new fields and new, also new, yeah, making new friends. Uh, so I, I don't have this feeling of being in a certain community right now, but I know we are slowly becoming a part of, <laughs> a part of it. Yeah, in this special, in this kind of, uh, especially in this kind of Berlin electronic music scene. Next, to Swiss composer and pianist Nick Bersch, who, like Ambique, has the groove at the heart of his acoustic chamber ensemble, Mobley. He also appeared in session one. Nils told me... Yeah, Nick Bersch is uh, something you shouldn't miss out on. I think when you get his music on record, it's one thing, but if you see this being played live, it's absolutely worth seeing for no matter what music you like. This is a show you can't get bored with it's, it's just incredibly played and really well done in a slightly noisy hoxton hotel i was joined by nick bash first of all i wanted to bring together beat groove and drum culture with the consciousness for classical music and uh, uh, chamber music so my background is actually percussion drums and piano playing uh, in jazz and groove music but then i started to study classical music and also made a classical piano diploma and then the next thing was also that I was playing a lot with bands and uh, learning a lot play a lot of styles from uh, Brazilian music to jazz to funk pop but I felt that I cannot do all of that very good I was very good in faking styles actually <laughs> to lead it into a crisis although uh, I was quite well because I could play everywhere but I wanted to reduce everything and to really find where my uh, affinities were laying and, and I play already since I'm a kid with drummer Kasper Rust together and um, we uh, formed then a band. We wanted to explore the music again, the potential, the musical and social potential of the performance together with the group but also with the audience and, and then we came back into the clubs with uh, Ronin that is my amplified music and that's the band that became more known also later through uh, uh, the contract with the the famous label ECM that actually made us more internationally known. But now we uh, relanced Mobile as a basic idea of acoustic music combined with grooves and drums. So we have two drummers actually in this band, also a string section. And uh, we also lanced a new record with this project. Thank you. 
It's always a good question to ask. Who influences you? I imagine your band does in regards to the performance, but are you a, a devourer of art in different ways? I think the influences, they, they vary um, uh, very much. Uh, as I mentioned, I had the chance to grow up in several musical contexts, but also uh, my parents actually are more coming from a graphic and fashion background, so they, they were drawing a lot with me. And um, I learned a lot from that, uh, for example, from my father, who had a clear... Uh, a line when he was drawing, um, you know, with just a pencil on a, a, a white paper with few lines, could kind of show very clearly a figure and how the clothes were falling on this figure. And uh, I started very early to read a lot of comics. And in these books, I actually learned two things. First of all, to be simple with a, a line, you know, a draw, drawn line. And second of all, to explain something in a certain dramaturgy that you stayed in the story. Mm. And for example, just as an example, this influenced me as much as famous composers or composers that I love, like Stravinsky, for example. Mm. And the other thing you already mentioned, this is that I play very long with the same people and that my musical partners influenced me a lot in the way we shared music, we talk about music. On the other hand, I, I studied philosophy and linguistics and uh, another uh, important influence is martial arts um, and Japanese aesthetics. So I, I trained since a while uh, Aikido, which is a modern martial arts without violence and without competition. Mm. And in terms of one hand training and uh, somehow you can call it the percussive energy of the, the body movements, it influenced <laughs> me. But on the other hand, also partnership and understanding partnership on a very basic level of interaction also when you go into fights and into conflicts. A few questions more generally about the, the festival that you are part of. One thing that's quite interesting, uh, if you take the, take everything as a whole, is that sense of geography. We've got bands and artists from all over the world. It seems to matter less and less where you are from to get your music out there. To develop a music out of a stream of a certain language into a dialect of a certain community, then into maybe a slang of a certain neighborhood of musicians is a very long process and it leads, uh, needs a lot of patience, but it leads finally to this, what you maybe mentioned, that, uh, or what you maybe mean, we don't need any more, uh, you know, uh, that the musicians are coming from New York and then it has a high quality but what we still need is that uh, a certain local tradition develops it. And of course, a good musician, you can combine good musicians uh, from the whole world, but that they develop a certain context and uh, find a language together. This really develops on a high level of understanding. That's, that means a lot of local culture, I guess. And I like this paradox always that you have in that you find in cities that actually modern uh, people want to live there, and a lot of inventions and creative uh, um, energy happens in cities. Mm. But you have also to learn to focus there, and mm. that's something. I think this paradox, but beautiful uh, energies you find in our music too. These two sides of the city. Moving through the festival, just time to mention performances by Stargaze and Anna von Hauswolf, but now we find ourselves in the company of Arthur Jeffs. Arthur's father, Simon, created the Penguin Cafe Orchestra in the 1970s, and for me, invented his own idiosyncratic and extremely catchy musical language or instrumental music. Niels told me about the impact of his music. For me, for me, for me, it's one of, uh, with Rachel's, maybe the earliest sign of uh, a new kind of classical wave. As you might know, they started in the late 70s, uh, produced by Brian Eno, having a really unique sound, a really unique band concept, but a band with classical instruments. And, and, and I think that way, for me, they are, if there's something like modern classical or neoclassical, then in my understanding they might be the first one who defined 
a band with uh, classical instrument players. And uh, I think this is something which is quite popular today and uh, was in the past years. And uh, from my understanding, not enough people know about these people and their project. And it's time to change that a little bit. Arthur continues that legacy now with a shorter named Penguin Cafe. I think it's fair to say you grew up in a musical household. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Well, yeah, absolutely. It was, I think, the way my dad composed. As the pieces were taking shape, he'd be playing them. And, yeah, the the piano at home in Shepherd's Bush. I mean, it was, yeah, beaten up old, upright. But but I loved it and loved it so much that I wanted to make it louder. And I ended up chipping a lot of the ivory because I wanted to play with a hammer in this kind of... And so we've still got that piano, but it's quite dangerous because if you if you don't if you're not careful, you can uh, cut yourself on the pointy bits. I'd say a good half of all my musical education and background and the way I think and hear is just my dad's music. So it's kind of, you know, I didn't realise that everyone didn't have the Penguin Cafe Orchestra as a kind of sort of you know, just basic fundament under everything else. Well, for me, coming to Coming to live music was actually quite late on because after university, I was doing sort of a bit more like music for TV and film, and, and I, I wasn't very good at that because I'd always get caught up in how the piece should sound. It was actually with a bunch of friends, as it turned out in the end. They were all musicians in their other sort of lives, mm. and so I learned a huge amount because I mean, they're all from other bands that have been going for quite a long time. Some of them, like so, yeah, Gorillas and Suede and so they're all these kind of. So I kind of learned on the run from these <laughs> other guys and it was really lovely so you know, in as much as uh, it was my dad my dad's music doing it it was actually yeah it was in the doing that I learned a huge amount about just you know, day-to-day band stuff let's talk about the first album how difficult was it to go from the legacy and playing the repertoire live to being brave enough maybe to to bring your own material and record the first album yeah it was I mean <laughs> I was hugely aware of how problematic, nervous-making, kind of all this stuff, because it, yeah, before you've even got anywhere down the, <laughs> the analysis of the idea of inviting comparison, and then it felt so bright when we were playing live, and, and it was slightly one of those things of close your eyes and fall backwards, trying to think about it too much. Looking back, it was yeah, quite a strong decision. <laughs> Where did the ideas come from? Um, did they predate? Penguin Cafe or were they things that were coming out of the of the tour and being in that world it's a, a, a mixture I mean some of them were more some of them you know things like Two Bean Shaker and uh, uh, Sundog I think it was on that first album they were kind of the product of just playing in the studio and play just you know, whoever's around and you know, find an idea and then you just chase chase it to wherever it goes second album um, inspired by space uh, well that was yeah in 2012 I got invited out to, to NASA Ames uh, which is like Cupertino down by it's an amazing part of the world but it's like strange and wonderful all at the same time and an artist called Nelly Ben Hayun had got into gone to Ames the NASA base and, uh, and organised all the people who play an instrument into a sort of unconventional orchestra it was about 50 people, but it was like lots of banjos and one cello. And, and, yeah. and then they commissioned one or two pieces sort of around the theme of space. So I did two pieces. One was called Aurora, um, but the other was called um, 1420, which is about something called the wow signal. It was before SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, you had something called the Big Ear Radio Telescope Project. In, um, and in 1977, they got these two clear bursts of uh, 1,420 0.4556 megahertz, uh, which is the resonant frequency of hydrogen, obviously the smallest atom. And at the time, we were thinking what we might send into space to tell aliens that we're here, and that was a candidate. We were thinking we might do that as a radio wave. And so to receive it in two very clear bursts was really cool and exciting. And so the guy who found the signal uh, in the readouts wrote wow in the margin with an exclamation mark, and that's hence the wow signal. And um, and so we did a, I did a piece based on, say, like, middle C is one, then... You can go one, C, 
four is F, two is D, and then zero would be one below one, <laughs> so it gives you B. But yeah, nice. No, so we did a slightly, uh, well, we did just a Penguin version for the album. Okay, I believe you've just been recording um, your third album, mm. and I presume we'll hear. Will you tell us about that? But I presume we'll also be hearing that in the concert. Uh, yeah, well, we've uh, I've been. We, I think we're going to go for four, maybe five five pieces from the new album and it's you know whipping them into shape is kind of so I'm really trying to keep it so that we can play so the live versions can be sort of recognizably similar to the studio version and we're playing with this idea of trying to trying to create um, sort of like dance record textures and aesthetics but everything being played live and yeah like again two worlds colliding a few questions maybe uh, more related to, to this weekend and, and Nils Fram. Um, well, one, one thing that kind of links all the artists together is that sense of geography not being a boundary anymore. Well, just going through my dad's record collection is really good fun because there's loads of stuff from from you know, Africa, South America, well, Venezuela in particular, he really loved. And uh, I think it's the Shona in, uh, in Africa. Uh, these elements, musical elements, which when you take them out of their kind of world music context... They're just awesome musical ideas. That that's a nice, that's a good way to think about it. That you're going, you're exploring either by going somewhere or by buying the records and listening to them. And you take them out and you put them on a do whatever, put them in a track, and then you show them to people, and not with any sort of fetish about that they're from somewhere else. Mm. They are literally just really cool. And so it's kind of like, yeah, like a museum of exotic things, and then just. Check it out. This is exciting. Where did you come across Niels's music for the first time, or, or, or the person himself? It's weird. I mean, it's sort of at some point over the last four years. It's you know that slightly dreamlike thing of. Oh yeah, we've always known. <laughs> That's always been true. I'm not sure, sure we're allowed to re- reveal too much. I believe uh, you may be you may be fighting over the piano with Niels from. Well, yeah, we've got. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping we'll definitely be able to get one or two. I think, but I'm hoping for more because we've got a few different keyboards, and because we're here in London, I've got like a bunch of cool toys. So we've got Celeste, Dulcetone, Harmoniums. There's a really, really lovely tiny Bluthner Grand that I recently inherited and it's, the, it's really beautifully kind of dull and very kind of sonorous and compared to like a Steinway or you know it's like a different instrument well we'll see what we can manage but yeah because it's in London we can just chuck everything in a van <laughs> So back to the festival, and session five took place in LSO St. Luke's and featured Sunwaves, the Canto Ostinato audiovisual project, and Caitlin Aurelia Smith. Two Sunwaves, a three way collaboration between electronic artist Luke Abbott, drummer Lawrence Pike of PVT, and saxophonist Jack Wiley of Portico Quartet. Luke joined me in the lower levels of the Barbican to discuss this then new project. So the Sunwaves project started when Lawrence, uh, Lawrence Pike got in touch with me. He just got in touch saying, you know, I like what you do. Would you think, would you want to work together? And I jumped at the chance because having checked out a few of his like, videos of, on YouTube of him doing his solo drumming I thought it was totally amazing and, and really in line with the music I was listening to at the time which was mostly spiritual jazz like Alice Coltrane mm. Ferris Sanders Don Cherry kind of and I arranged some studio time at James Holden's studio and 
we just got there and, and played and I, I thought you know if we're going to do that let's record it so we we recorded as we went along without ever kind of having the intention of making a record but once we'd done it it just felt like we had so now there is one and you added um jack yeah totally well me and jack were already uh working on stuff before that and it just made sense that if i was going to be in the studio with lawrence already that we should at least get jack down for one of the days and see what happens and it, it, it went really well we did we ended up doing three days of of recording two days was just me and lawrence and then there was a uh, the third day jack came down and we just instantly kind of found a, a space together to play in and it, it just you know fell into place So in the three of you in the studio, I mean, where do you start? We just start rolling and start making sounds. Um, and then the process of finding where the tracks start and end is something I do after the fact. And it's just a case of chopping out the section which, which sounds like a song or sounds like a track. I think we all have, in our minds, we all have a similar idea. Whoa, what was that? Someone dropped something big. Um, <laughs> you have to leave that in. That was a great noise. I think in our minds we all have an idea of, of of something we're trying to do, and that idea is quite similar. But it's not like we we don't try and talk about that too much or dissect it. Years ago, when I was doing my master's degree, I also played in an improv trio with a guitarist and a clarinet player. The only rule we had as a as a group was that we we would never talk about it. We would just play, and the whole relationship would be based upon listening to each other. And this is similar to that in a way. Like it's it's very much about on the record, the very first track. The reason I put that at the beginning is because that's that's a recording of the first time that me, Lawrence, and Jack ever made noises at the same time in the same room. And we genuinely like just before that is when we finished testing all the mics, and then that that is a kind of twelve minute finding our way working out what you know what we can do at the same time you know how we can be like a band or something Uh, one of the things we're trying to do when we were doing these recordings was we were trying to use the drum kit as a way of triggering things happening in in my system we had triggers on some of the drums that were sending midi information to drum synthesis that was playing back into a pa system into the rooms it was kind of about experimenting with the balance between you know how that system was operating as lawrence was playing and trying to make it interactive so a lot of the time as he's playing he's kind of discovering what it you know how he's doing is affecting you know what he's listening to from what i'm doing and vice versa so it is it's it's very playful in that sense like the, the idea of for me uh was to try and create hyper drum kit that plays the synthesizer and let lawrence play it because he's, he's an incredible drummer and then i don't have to worry about any of the rhythmical information and i can get you know s- s- notes spitting out of a generative synth and then i can just kind of fuck the sound up and see where it goes and um, create like a noise I want to hear next to what Lawrence is playing and it becomes like a a feedback system on so many different levels that way you know it's really fun to play with occasionally I can kind of when we're when we're tuning these like we're kind of finding our way it's like feeling around in the dark finding our way around all these different harmonics which are building up sometimes I make like really convincing saxophone sounds from the modular case and sometimes he does something which sounds really synthy and we just get we just get really lost in it it's really like a joyful experience I presume it's not going to occur that regularly just because geographically you're, you're both on the other side of the planet. So when it does happen, yeah. it, it's, going to, it's always going to have a sense of, of new, I suppose. Definitely. There is, there's, there's a challenge involved in having a band where the drummer's in Sydney, the synth player's in Norfolk, and uh, Jack is actually talking about moving to Africa at the moment. So Jesus. I know. So we're going to be the most international band ever. I think. I don't know if we are. It's going to. It's yeah. It's a real. It's a real logistical challenge. But we've um, because of that. I think we've we've decided that one of the things we're trying to do is we're going to try and 
record every, everything that we do when we play together. I think the path for you, um, the sort of connection to Nils Fram was down to a remix, if I got that right? Yeah, I did a, I did a remix for Nils in, I think it was in 2013. I tell you what, it was when I was at Wising Art Centre, which is where I recorded my second album. Maybe one of my favourite remixes I've done, um, partially because Neil's track was really just him playing mm. a keyboard. There was nothing else, nothing else to it, just a, just a synth part. So it was very open-ended in terms of what kind of music I could, I could make it become. And I really took liberty. I was obviously, with stuff I was recording for Wising, the Wising Forest album, it was all very much quite lost, spaced out, weird time you know quite long time quite odd places and you can hear that in the remix i did for nils and you're looking forward to being part of the weekend it's going to be a fun night it's going to be it looks like a great venue to play in as well i'm really pleased that they found a church with my name on it When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Next, a project which celebrates an important composer for Nils, Simeon Tenholt. Simon Tenholt is, uh, is almost as important to me as Steve Reich or Philip Glass or uh, John Cage or similar. It's just, yeah, when people have such a particular sound and vision and what they want to do with an instrument which everybody knows, and in Simon Tenholt's case, it's often the piano. That's always fascinating to me. And it, it, it encourages me that I might find something as unique and original and interesting to play on that very known instrument to kind of redefine it. And everybody who's able to do that, or I mean, many people did that, but it's getting more and more hard because more and more has been done. And, uh, but I believe that there's, there's, there will be always like little ideas and, and, and visions and, and uh, musical possibilities on that instrument, which will sound fantastically new. And on ten hold is recent moments where something like that happened in my point of view. Gwyneth Ventic joined me next on the phone to talk about the Canto Ostinato audiovisual project and how she has translated Simeon's music from piano to harp. You know, originally it's written for one to four pianos and I wanted to play it on a harp with electronics. And from the start, I wanted it to be an audiovisual production. So I just started looking around actually and um, and Wouter, he's an amazing composer and electronic specialist. I basically found him when I was Googling. <laughs> so I was just looking around and then s- somehow I got on his website and I just knew it was like, oh, this is the guy. So I straight away called him. 
and he knew the piece and um, it turned out he actually played harp when he was younger as well so it was you know it's brilliant that you know someone who knows the instrument well um, so that's how I got to Wouter and then after you know we both looked for okay what kind of what what would we like in a visual aspect and then quite quickly Arnaud joined the three of us and everyone has kind of a special story with the piece like Wouter and Arnaud as well so that was yeah that was how we got together My big inspiration has been for many projects this science of cymatics, which is the visualization of sound frequencies, because I'm so intrigued, like where do sounds and visuals meet and, you know, how closely can you get that? Um, and not that we that I wanted it to be a literal translation of what you could hear, but that was one of the inspirations when we started and then it kind of took his own life and Arnaud's made an interpretation of how every cell has his different um different color and and he made his own translation the afternoon that the performance you're involved with um some really other exciting acts on that bill all, all, all very similar in some ways so we yeah i know because i saw caitlin like a few weeks ago i was at the festival in um where in belgrado and she was playing there as well uh, caitlin aurelia smith so that was really exciting and i love her work so uh, yeah she kind of reminds me of this young terry riley yeah. <laughs> it was beautiful to see her performance and then i and then there's luke abbott which is great as well last year um i played at um minimal music festival the world minimal music was in amsterdam um, and he played as well. So yeah, I'm very excited. I mean, the whole the whole marathon is is beautiful. We continue our archive reflection of Niels Fram's possibly colliding weekend and turn now from contemporary artists to film music. But before we take a trip to the cinema screen, let us first examine the composer's visual approach to his music in this weekend with his longtime collaborators, Feld. This Berlin-based digital design studio has worked with Niels throughout his career to date, with original concepts for album artwork, video, website, even helping to design and conceptualise his incredible portable MIDI organ. They have been tasked to create something wonderful and awe-inspiring to take over the Barbican foyer. Yeah, we as felt um, basically have three people, um, Benjamin, Benjamin Maus, who is currently not here, Frederick Miner and, and me, Thorsten Postel. Actually, we all, we all met during studying at the University of Arts here in Berlin. So this, is, this was our, our, our first encounter. And during that time, we uh, got to know each other quite, quite well. We were working on several university-related projects. And, and it was quite, yeah, quite an easy decision for us after, after finishing our study or after our degree. When did the sort of relationship with Niels Fram begin? It's a funny, it's actually a funny, more, more a personal, personal story. Especially Frederick knows Niels since, I don't know, you, you know best. We grew up together in, in Hamburg. So we know us since we are um, very young already. I mean, since we are children, basically. And then later on, um, I decided to move to Berlin and Niels did so too. And we were uh, making music together. Basically, and I decided to go to art school, to, to University of Arts here in Berlin, to study uh, visual communication, where I met uh, Benjamin and um, Thorsten. And Thorsten and Niels, they moved together in a shared flat. Funny thing, we just yeah, we, we met via via Frederick, and instantly um, became became good friends. So we decided to move, to move together. So we shared a flat for six or seven years, I, I would say. And this was also the time where everything started um, for us, but also also for Niels. It was also the time where like when he got like more professional and the first kind of records came out. Um, and since we were like, just basically living door next door, um, I, I started working on his artworks. And um, and this is probably on a design related question. This is the starting point of our color like design collaboration. Of course, we share an ambition of ideas, but also an ambition of how to do things. We, on our side, we're not just using technology for the sake of using technology. 
It always has to tell a story or has to be kind of um, embedded in a, in, in a narrative or something. And this is also when it comes to technology is always, yeah, picky, I would say, um, and has a strong, strong opinion, which definitely relates to, to our opinion. Okay, let, let's move to the fantastical. You are designing uh, and building uh, the installation at this weekend at the Barbican. We won't speak about it too much. We don't want to give too much away. But could you just kind of maybe talk about some of the initial conversations and the, the big ideas behind it? First moment we, st- we started talking about this whole, this whole weekend, there was, of course, the, um, yeah, the question how, how the whole thing should be, should be called. So we were all sitting together. Um, and then this possibly colliding theme was so, was so strong in all our heads. One of our main approaches when we do projects like that is um, to, to still have this playful and uh, playful approach and giving it a little bit of try and error. Also, in this case, we were experimenting a lot, uh, different structures, different material, different kind of, um, let's say, engines. So this is, this is the main idea. Um, and we are keen that it will we come up with something nice and hopefully um, a lot of impact. Having like, the Barbican as a partner for this festival is a general an amazing thing, um, especially the, um, I mean, it's a great place and having all these great musicians there, Niels and also, I mean, it feels like family basically, Niels and all his uh, collaborations and people he's working with, we know them. So it, it again feels a little bit like, like a um, school trip to London um, and to set up the camp at the Barbican. Next, we remain in Berlin and director Sebastian Scheiper's much-acclaimed 2016 film, Victoria. In this film, Spanish tourist Victoria experiences everything in one night, from romance to robbery, all captured in one non-stop take. It's the first full-length original score by the composer. He told me this about the experience. So we only had like 15 days for it in total for writing and recording and making the score. And uh, that worked out. It's it's still a little miracle to me. Yeah, when things happen so fast, then then it feels like they fall into your lap, and they're already done before you know them. And 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 I like these kind of projects a lot when when you don't have to fight for years and years and years with a complicated record, and when you're done, you can't listen to it anymore because it's so so much in your head that you have no idea how to how to like it or not. And and uh, with that, it was was a really nice pace, a really good inspired moment on working on that. And it feels like everything on that project accidentally fell into a nice place. We caught up with director Sebastian when the film was first shown at the London Film Festival in 2015. It was a little bit um, the good girl going to the dark side, so to say, or the princess running off with the wolves or something like that but the more we went into it the more we realized um, especially Laia and I that for performance or for a character that's really laid out in 3D we turn towards something saying more she's an idealist I think it's sure to say whatever she does she does 100% And, and so her life changes within this night so she changes there's the idea possibly of love at first sight or at least a very strong attraction that makes her make certain decisions. That's definitely an aspect. You know, I think there's a couple of things coming together. One is I'm not a princess anymore. I might as well enjoy the, the plus side of that. And of course, that her seeing a guy in that group of wolves or yes. like like puppy wolves or whatever you want to call them You're like if of course if there's one person in that group where it's kind of like you look at his eyes and you kind of feel like he has good eyes you know he's a good guy of course that help i think without him without that attraction that you mentioned you she probably wouldn't have gone no 
The one thing that I, I have to talk about, obviously, the technicality of the film. You created your own world, and, and it's all all taken in one shot. I mean, I was going to ask a quest, question from the point of view of what were the benefits of that? I mean, obviously, it gives an inc- incredible sense of energy. Um, the benefits, first of all, I was losing almost all my powers, which are, you know, a director, you micromanage everything, you know. I, I don't like the jumper. I wanted to wear something else. I don't like the microphone. I don't like the glasses. You know, I don't, you know, I like, this should be that way. You know, you should laugh louder, less, <laughs> you know. I Normally, that's your job description. All of a sudden, all that's gone. You know, all these calls are being made by them. Mm. But also, I got a lot from them, you know, because the more we went on this journey, the more I realized and I told them, don't perform. You got to give me everything. You got to go through these emotions. And I mean, basically all the emotions, I mean, it's hard to think of an emotion they don't go through in Victoria, you know, even 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 being bored at the beginning, yes. you know, even that, you know, flirting and maybe falling in love and being scared and laughing and, uh, you know, and, and all the talk and being being paranoid and pure euphoria and joy, you know, it's all there. And I told them, you have to go through that. Don't present it to me, yeah. but um, feel it because I can only feel what you feel. And that, I think, in, in this extent, you can only ask that from the actors if you also let them free, you know, if you mm-hmm. take them off the chain and, and not cut it up in little tiny bits and pieces. Just just look at me. I'm gonna you're gonna be my muse now. I'm I'm your muse. Okay? Okay, I am. A deep face. What can I do? I don't know. Look at me. Okay. I'll just okay. look at <laughs> How much were you kind of worried about them getting on or becoming friends or bonding? Because they've got to feel like they're, they they become a Victoria and, and the teenagers, that they become a gang themselves for a lot of this film. It's funny you say that because, I've, you know, when I started out, my first film is also about friendship. And I was very much into the idea that they somehow become friends and all that. And it didn't happen. It didn't hurt the film at all. Okay. Because I thought like, okay, as long as it happens... When the camera rolls, you know, maybe it's even better than if they're really great moments they have by themselves and then and, and the film, all right, it's pretty good too. Here in this case, they did hang out a lot. They did hang out a lot. And a lot of times after the shooting, they went out and hit the Berlin nightlife. And <clears throat> yeah, they, they did that. The, the center of the film, and I, I, I've read you talk, talk about this, is, is the bank robbery. Yeah. It, it has, is that a secret desire of yours, to rob a bank? Yes, it was a absolute, it still is. It has, it's gotten a little soft around the edges after I did the film now, but yeah, absolutely. I would love to rob a bank. Of course it is about the money, but I think it's also a little bit maybe like, give me my life now. Mm-hmm. I want it now. And like, it's almost like you're going with a with a gun to a bouncer that otherwise would never let you into the club and kind of go like, I go in now and I will dance and I will drink. You know, it's like I won't wait anymore. I won't be a good girl or a good boy or whatever. I don't. I'm not gonna play by all these rules. They promised and and somehow they promised me that will all lead to me then getting everything I, I, I want, and it won't. The preciousness of life, that's a, that seems to be a, a result. That's something you think about when you watch the film. Yeah, yeah, preciousness of life, robbing a bank. I like that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I, I don't have a problem. I haven't seen a connection there. And it's a, it's, it's a cinema film. That, that's the joy of it, that, that escapism, that, that journey that you literally drag people on. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I mean, there's always, of course, I'm a director and, and, and I say you got to go and see it in the movie theaters. But, um, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's I think um, it's, it's, if you're able to do that in, in front of your computer or TV, whatever, that's, you know, if you're able to, you know, let yourself go and 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 I think the film is doing a lot of a lot of stuff to, to you know pulling you in um but you're right I mean being in the cinema and I think it's also from all I hear and sometimes I see might be a great film to watch with other people not yeah. just by yourself you know 
because this is being um, I'm doing this for the Barbican, it seems silly of me not to mention Nils Fram, right. who who he's doing an entire weekend wow. at the Barbican of music. Why did you want him to to compose the the music? Because um, honestly, one aspect is he's almost a neighbor. He just recently told me that when he came in for the screening, he was pretty much sad to kind of tell me that he doesn't have time. You know, Niels came, watched the film, we had an amazing talk, and it was clear, and that's really how it happened. And, and, and now he did the music for the film. L- last question, again, without revealing too much, but I think it's fair to ask, where do you think Victoria is now? She's, she's, I don't, she escaped, man. I don't know where she is. I don't know what she's doing. She's hiding. She's, and she's doing a job and she's, she's doing a good job doing it. And she knows she, 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 she went a little too far maybe that night and, and she's hiding. I would love to meet her again, but I'm not sure I'll ever see her again. That's West Berlin guys, huh? It's New Berlin guys, huh? Next, we continue to explore the intersection between film and music for composer Nils Fram as we look at short film Ellis. Set in Ellis Island Hospital, directed by JR and written by Eric Roth, this film tells the tale of European immigration through a powerful narration by Robert De Niro. People would line up here holding their suitcases and their children holding on to them for dear life. The score itself was composed by Nils and Woodkid. We'll hear in a moment from Woodkid, but first, once again, back to the subject of this podcast and the weekend. Um, Alice was because uh, Woodkid asked me if I could help him with the piano score. He was asked by JR, the director, if um, he could make the score, and it ended up being quite piano-heavy, and since Woodkid likes my piano sound and my, my, my way of playing, sure, come over, and JR and uh, Woodkid came over. And to my studio, and we had one day recording everything and rewriting a little bit. And, and then they ended up with a completely different score in the end. Plus, I had this one crazy day where I couldn't go to Belgium because of some terror attack warning. And uh, this whole city was blocked and the airport was blocked. And I had to stay at home and had this unexpected day free. And that, that day I made another 15-minute piece with just Robert De Niro's voice take, I, I, I did write like a, an, an extra extra piece of music only with the voice and, and my instruments. In the end, we had so much material for soundtrack, for everything that we said, okay, let's put this out. Let's, let's make this, let's make this, uh, put our, all our energy in it. It's a strong project. I'm quite proud to be involved with such a beautiful little project. It's also, it speaks from my heart since it addresses yeah, the um, refugee crisis everybody talks about in a way where I feel like, okay, artists take part in political action and um, should also. And I feel like uh, JR found a really nice way of, of um, doing so. Woodkid, a.k.a. Johan Lemoyne, is a music video director, graphic designer, and most importantly, a singer, songwriter and film composer. He talks about his approach to music and the score to Ellis. Were you aware that this was going to be such a powerful subject? No. How to say that? Um, I, I, I'm, of course, extremely concerned about the situation um, in Europe and everywhere else in the world. I, the idea of, of home is something that is intriguing me right now what we take for granted as a as a home and the idea of home is secondary before the idea of home there's the question of survival and the idea of home that is in in our western culture something that is so important the idea of accessing to an apartment of being able to uh, give identity to the house you live in the the the, the idea of, of having a roof to sleep in to for us it's almost like the it's the primary need but we tend to forget, and I could tend to forget myself, that there's a part of the population in the world that it's secondary, the idea of home. The first priority is survival. So we decided to make that record with Nails, where we would extend a little bit the, the musical project of, uh, of Ellis and make it even more with Robert and try to yeah, make an object where 
all the proceeds would go to Sea Watch, which is an organization that um, uh, monitors the deal over the world, especially in that area of the world now, um, making sure that accidents don't happen. So, so yeah, now it's now it, it is a subject in my life, I guess. There were all these millions of people who come through here, and I see them all. People of every color, shape, and size. And I think about all those people who did. All of those that made it. Made it to some distant shore where when they come up the beach or over a bridge or onto a road, they start to walk. Then they start walking faster and faster. Then they are running. They made it. They were at last home. But don't get me wrong. I'm the ghost of all those who never got to get there. and the ghost of those who will never get there. We've reached the final section of this special, possibly colliding, archive edition of the Nothing Concrete podcast. And now we focus on the voice and choral music from the 19th to the 21st century. So I thought about Rachmaninoff and his works he did for Riorgian choir, uh, for mono, monophonic, old church music. He dug out and then made it polyphonic in a very nice way and I was really into that particular piece it's called uh, there's one CD uh, recorded by the Flemish choir it's the Divine Liturgy of St. John and uh, uh, that piece particularly was something I really wanted to hear live myself and now we're trying to realize that but um, that's something I will very much enjoy uh, sitting there and just hearing choir solo music I think this is an experience uh, which will be new for at least a couple people in the audience and that is already worth the whole effort. Kieran Brunt has brought together a collection of talented singers to form shards for this festival. Here he speaks about his work with Niels and the other artists. So I've gathered together essentially um, 12 singers, all, all of whom are pretty young. They're a really versatile bunch, people with very strong kind of choral singing backgrounds, many of whom do all kinds of other things too. So one of the singers is a composer primarily, uh, another's a singer in a, in a new music ensemble, We've got a folk singer, an aspiring DJ, so it's, it's a big kind of mix of characters and personalities. I basically thought it would be great for, for a project like this where we want to, yeah, really show a lot, of, a lot of personality. I'm trying to make the arrangements not sound too too much like a choir. I mean, often a lot of them, I guess there's, yeah, there's a lot of kind of, I'm, I'm using the voices in my stuff that I'm doing sort of as instruments and almost like electronic sounds. Um, we're mixing a lot of, a lot of the, the stuff they're doing is mixing uh, you know, real voices with synthetic sounds. So I wanted to try and kind of blur that and see if I can treat them uh, in the same way. Nils is definitely interested in this concept of um, the, the the machine as a being and the and the humans <laughs> as a machine, if that makes sense. And and kind of playing with this idea of drawing out the kind of the the intricacies and the delicacies of electronic textures to make them sound real and in the same way using uh, a choir or a group of voices uh, to make them sound um, and work and function i guess uh, like like a like a machine we return to kieran in just a moment talking one last time about the wild birds and peace drums collaboration but first let's hear from that duo marion valentine and andreas verlin about the history of the vocal collaboration with composer hilda goodnotanotia which led to the album rivers Bird. 
collaborations we've done been with either a lot of drummers or a lot of singers we have never i mean yes okay we made some few <laughs> other mistakes of course <laughs> collaboration mistakes but um i think that's the way we like to keep it the drums and the vocal that, that, that's it we we wouldn't have been wanting to do it if we knew it was gonna work <laughs> that's normally not how we create you know we need to feel the challenge and uh the risk we're taking. I am so afraid, she said. What were the early conversations with um, Hilda Gutendertier, who um, did the arrangements? Well, she was the one, she lives in Berlin, but she was the one who suggested that we actually should record it. We knew that we wanted an Icelandic like choir or the classical sound, but we didn't know because there are so many Icelandic people in Berlin or in London. But we decided to go to Reykjavik to record it. And that's how we met Valgir and the Bedroom Community Guy and Ben Frost who recorded it. But I think the conversation creatively was I, yeah, we basically ended her songs. We did we did the songs and we recorded them in our rehearsing space. She had a lot of freedom she had a lot when of she did it, and we and we were bouncing front and back with different ideas of how to how much space to leave. And she she understood right away what yeah. what we were after, and it was very smooth and yeah, yeah. she did funness, really fun to record, very fun to record. I think it's about the atmosphere when we recorded it. We ended up in a church that, I mean, uh, by accident actually had water, like a pool of water behind the altar with a cross standing in it. For me, that was very symbolic, just by chance ending up in a place uh, while the whole theme of the music is water-based. So that was a nice, a nice week we had there. I don't have a And, and maybe there'll be some new material as well alongside this I think the evening definitely will feel new and exciting um, we will expand for us this is just we haven't done a choir a choir show for I think about five years hmm. so I mean for us just to play the old material will sound new we promise you yeah. <laughs> You know, we, we develop and we want to take the music with us in that. So um, it will be uh, a new beginning. Back to Kieran. Uh, Wild Birds and Peace Drums album, Rivers. We're going to be performing that in its entirety. As well as that, I'm really excited. We've, uh, we're going to be doing three uh, new arrangements of existing songs of theirs um, uh, from their album, Rhythm, uh, which uh, uh, Hilda Gudnadottir has has arranged. Um, yes, these three new wonderful uh, arrangements. So it's a bit of stuff people will have heard before, uh, and some new, quite funky and quite exciting uh, different arrangements of, of songs they might know already. A final word from Niels on the weekend. I always try to to use these situations where I curate something, which is not always my work. I, I want I want to not put all the stuff on there, which is also really good, which everybody knows already. Uh, but to um, have really good quality music, which I feel like is a little bit under the radar, and I'm not sure why. And this is how I treat compilations. This is how I treat this festival. And finally, I found myself asking whether the composer could imagine a world without music. I feel like we need music, and and uh, it's it's not it's not an extra. It's not not a nice uh, little something which which we we can use to enjoy life a little more. It's just something as essential for our well-being as so many other things which we might consider as 
extra luxurious things, but can only speak for myself. Without music, uh, yeah, life would not work out that well for me. My thanks to all the artists and contributors who spoke to me for this podcast. Possibly colliding was a tour de force of live music, crowned by a landmark concert of collaborations by the composer. I'm Ben Eshmade. Thanks for listening to this archive edition of Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. Here to inspire more people. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. To discover and love the arts with weekly episodes of archive finds and theme series. Subscribe to Nothing Concrete on Acast, Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you can, leave us a review to help us get the word out.